to be here. You know, I'm going to tell you a secret because I just learned about something about Joe. I didn't know that he played the guitar. I was actually shocked because maybe you don't know this, but you guys have the best dancing queen, or I mean the dancing team in this church. <laughs> I was inviting, going to invite them, you know, Joe, Mickey, Mike, Brian, uh, and Jack to dance to you this morning <laughs> like they did to us in Brazil. But then I thought that I don't want you to be traumatized <laughs> like we were. So I would advise Joe to stick with the playing the guitar. <laughs> it is so good to be here. I love this church. We have a great connection with many of you, so I feel like I am at home. Um, and I do want to share with you something that's very close to my heart, and I believe it's the heart of this church. Um, as I hear from Joe and from Johnny and the, all the things you do, I believe it's part of your heart. But if it's not yet personally, individually, I do pray that the Holy Spirit is going to bring holy conviction into our hearts this morning. And we're going to join him in what he's doing in the world today. So Jesus, the call to follow Jesus, is also the call to go and make disciples. Brian McLaren, a great uh, missiologist, says that for Christ, his called ones, which are what actually means church, are also his sent ones, or missionaries. So as Christians, we're called to do two movements simultaneously and synchronized. One is to guard our faith, to keep our faith. And the other one is to go out and proclaim our faith. So we're always coming in and going out, proclaiming our faith. And the first movement with guarding, keeping our faith, that's where we find who we are, our identity in Christ. And the second movement, which is proclaiming our faith, that's how we find out what we were created for, what's our purpose in life, which is our mission. So today I want to talk about the second movement, which is proclaiming our faith. We're going to look at the second letter uh, of Paul to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And um, this letter is very unique in many ways. Uh, first is the location. Paul is writing from prison. Paul He's writing this letter from his second imprisonment in Rome. And during his imprisonment, Paul was probably in chains, um, in a dungeon, probably dark, humid, exposed to the elements. And uh, his friends struggled to find him. Probably the most, uh, you know, regular visitor was Luke. Second, the, look, the circumstances. Paul expected that his life was going to end soon. He says it twice that death awaits him. He is sure that death awaits him. Therefore, he writes a letter full of theological and practical meanings and passion for Jesus. He talks about the essentials of our faith. And the third thing about this letter is the destination. Who was the letter for? Paul does not write to the apostle or to the churches he planted. He writes to a young leader called Timothy, his son in the faith, his partner in ministry. 
And the fourth thing about this letter is the approach. As a pastor, he's writing to this young disciple who is starting ministry, the ministry of leadership in the church. And he does not write about the beginnings. He writes about the endings. He, he doesn't talk about the first steps. He talks about the last steps. Perhaps he is drawing Timothy's attention to the things that was, were coming, to the things that awaited him in Christian ministry. John Stott said that this letter has four exhortations in each chapter one. The first one is keep your faith. Guard your faith. Keep your faith in the gospel. Second, suffer for the gospel. Third, remain the gospel. And fourth, preach the gospel. We're going to talk about this last exhortation today. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. And I've titled this mes message, Your Mission as a Christian. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are your children. We are your people. Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you bring what is heavy in your heart, what, uh, Lord, what made you come and give your life to us? Would you, would you make that be our hearts too? In Jesus' name, amen. So open your Bibles to 2 Timothy Chapter 4, if you don't have it, we're going to have it on the screens. And here's what the, Lord, the Word of God says. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will, will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not up with the sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Here we find the heart of God for his church and for you and me. Four things. Number one, four teachings or four exhortations. Preach the word. Preach the word. This is the main teaching. The message must be urgent, imperative, and biblical. It must be both intentional and intense in proclaiming the gospel. Preaching the word of God is not a matter of choice, style, preferences, pleasure, but obedience. Amen? We learn here to do something out of season. This is actually the only place in the Bible that we learn to do something out of season. For everything, there is a time. But when it comes to preaching the Word of God, the gospel, it has to be done all the time. There is not a time that we shouldn't preach the Word of God. We should never miss an opportunity to preach the Word of God. The Word of God is urgent. It's timely. we got to preach when it's timely or untimely. And he's talking about us, not even the other person. When it's not opportune, or I don't feel like, or, or it's not a good time. No, it's, there's never not a good time. There's always, it's always a good time to share the gospel. Always. We learn how to do that here. 
How should we preach? Well, what should we preach? The Word of God, the Gospel, not your ideas, not your ideologies, not the church doctrine, values and missions, the Christian ethics, a project, preach the Gospel. And he says how? He says correct, rebuke, and encourage. And here, there are two movements, too, that a pastor or a preacher should always do. He says in verse 2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It seems like every preacher of the word must do these two things, confrontation and consolation. We slap you and then we help dry your tears. The problem, though, that we have today is people don't want to be confronted. People don't want to be rebuked. Is it the same here like it is in Brazil? Everybody's saying, tell me what makes me feel good. I just want to go to a church that makes me feel good. I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my life. We want to hear what our itching ears want to hear. Whatever's good and fits our own pleasures and desires, but not, that's not the job of the preacher. We gotta confront and we gotta console. So C.S. Lewis said, I didn't go to religion or Christianity to make me happy. I always, always knew a bottle of port would do that. Don't you know that? It doesn't last, but it will do for a little bit. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. It's not about making us comfortable. So, you know, one thing, it's very important in the world that we live today with so much coaching and few good messages. We gotta remember that the reformers and the Puritans, they not only defended the doctrine, compassion, and mission, but they defended a reconciliation between doctrine with compassion and mission. They defended that this was necessary, meaning that doctrine should be embodied in our daily lives, generating in our hearts compassion that would move us into missions. So David Brainerd, Brainerd an American uh, Presbyterian minister and missionary to the Native Americans among the Delaware Indians, Indians in New Jersey. He had this sense of urgency in his heart about preaching the gospel. Urgency for the mission. He was born in 1718 and he was orphaned uh, at the age of nine. Later on, he discovered that he had a chronic illness. He, he suffered from chronic depression, which plagued him until uh, his last day, the last day of his life. When God called him into ministry, uh, he wanted to go evangelize the Indians. His friends worried about him, about his health condition. And they said, Brainerd, if God's calling you to be a missionary, he has to heal you from your disease. He has to heal you. He said, well, no. He said, the Lord doesn't have to heal me. The Lord only needs to give me strength. He doesn't have to heal me because he used us in our weakness as we surrendered to him. So God never healed him, but God strengthened him all the way until the end of this, his day. 
Tim Keller, late Tim Keller said, your problems cannot stop you from serving. Jesus washed his disciples' feet on the way to the cross. Can you imagine that? But all we can do is have a slitter pity party about ourselves. Poor us. Poor me. You see, all human beings, practically all churches too, tend to live inwardly. What about my needs? What about my marriage? What about my finances? What about my children? What about my problems? What about my education? On the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter, the day the Christian church was born, he told us who this gospel message was for. It is for us. It is for the church. But here's what he says. This promise is for you, Acts 2.39, and your children, and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord God will call. The reason of us being a church, at least most people like to think, is for us to meet our needs, to, to heal our wounds, to heal our broken hearts, to minister to our pains, to heal our marriages, to encourage discipleship, to teach our kids how to grow in the ways of the Lord. And that's all true. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with us. It's also for those who are far away, who are disconnected from God, who are not a part of the body of God yet. You see, the problem I see is that many people have embraced doctrine without compassion. They don't let the word of God change their hearts. And some have embraced compassion without doctrines. Others have embraced doctrines and compassion without mission. It's all disconnected. We kind of choose what we like better. But we are, all we need, and we do need this, is that every doctrine will transform us, transform our hearts, with, and will give us a compassionate heart. And the compassionate heart will lead us into mission. I often hear people saying things like, you know, I really love the word. I, I like a church with sound teaching, depth. Other people say, you know, my thing is really compassion. I love justice. I, all I want to do is just serve the need. I, I mean, I don't, this whole thing of Bible study, I want to be out there. I don't want to be wasting time, you know, sitting under a, a deep Bible study. That's not my thing. My thing is just serving. Or my thing is not evangelism. That's, that's not really for me. Well, you don't get to choose. Sorry to say that and burst your little bubble. We don't get to choose because we need the whole thing and everything. St. Augustine said this, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe but yourself. We don't get to say this is the most important. We should not care about that. We need the whole gospel, not just the parts we agree or like. The world should, the word of God should produce in us compassion, and compassion should move us, lead us into mission, lead us towards the least, the lost, and the worst. The second thing that we learn in this letter is that Paul says the second teaching is preached for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. The main reason we preach the gospel is Christ himself and his kingdom. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view 
of his appearing in his kingdom. I give you this charge. It is in Jesus that Paul charged Timothy. He is the Lord of all things. He is the Lord of all. So in verse 1, we say, preach the word because of Jesus and what he's doing. That's the reason we do. He's manifesting his kingdom here and now and everywhere. He's at work, and we should join him in mission. This is our personal mission as a mission organization for uh, Vineyard Brazil, uh, Vineyard North. This is our mission. And for the last, uh, I don't know, 30, probably 28, 29 years now, we've been, we started in Altamira, and uh, we've invested all of our resources, our abilities, our everything, our gifts into training leaders and planting churches. And I got a picture there for you just to give you an idea of, of faces and what it is. Of course, I can't put them all there, but at this time, at this point, we have planted 36 churches. We have 10 church plants going on, and we have 60 pioneering communities in the North region. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I have a sense of urgency in my heart. I have a sense of urgency in my heart. My good friend, Clenilde, who is an amazing evangelist at a church plant, he, sometimes we talk and he, he almost can't breathe when he's talking about the lost. Just one more person, just one more community, just one more church. He, 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 he hardly, it's like he can't sleep. It burns in his heart, this passion for the lost. And you know it should burn in each one of our hearts too. I am a very intentional person, so there is not a person I meet that does not know Jesus, that I'm not thinking in the back of my head, how am I going to connect them to Jesus? And my family gets really mad at me. Steve does, the girls do, because when they meet someone new, and I know, are they Christians? Do they believe? No. Did you tell them about Jesus? Mom, I'm just trying to make a friend. Okay, make a friend of Jesus. We never know. We, we can't miss an opportunity. It's, we should be both intentional and intense in proclaiming the good news. Preach the word. Preach for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. But the third reason we hear, uh, we learn from Paul here is preach for the sake of men. For there will be, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather on them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Aren't we living right now such a time? The main motivation to preach, the main reason is Jesus Christ. But the main need is man. The truth of God is not something easy to be, to preach. Some will not bear it. And his truth has and will be sinfully replaced by human ideas, philosophies, myths, ideologies, both inside the church and in the world. In this postmodern society, pluralistic world, people don't reject Christ. They say, good for you. 
Do you believe Jesus is good for you? I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you have a religion. I'm happy that you're happy, but it's just not for me. Just don't tell me that he's the only way, and it's all good. We need to preach the gospel, the truth of Christ, and the uniqueness of Christ. Yes, he is the only way. And that's what people hate. They don't want to hear that. It's okay with Christ, but don't tell me that he is the only way. Yes, he is the only way of redemption and reconciliation between man and God. God's truth bothers. It confronts, but it also consoles because it promises us eternal life, forgiveness of our sins. Eternal life with God and those who we love. Therefore, we need to create People, they don't want to hear this, so then they start creating gods for themselves, according to their, themselves, their own desires, their own ideas. Paul Hebert says in his book, Transforming Worldviews, that the gospel transforms people in three different dimensions, beliefs, behavior, and worldview. And here's what he says, conversion to Christ must include all those three levels, behavior, beliefs, and worldview that underlies these Christians should live differently, differently because they are Christians. So he talks about the risks of being a church where people are conformed, transformed in their convictions, but not in their attitudes, which according to him, it results in a nominal church, where what is believed is clear, but there is no life embodiment. There's no life compatible to the beliefs. There is a huge disconnect between what I believe and what I do. And people who are transformed in their attitudes or behaviors, but not in their convictions, resulting in legalistic churches. They're Christians. The appearance is of holiness and obedience, but the hearts are unbelieving. And the people who are transformed in their convictions and attitudes, but, but not in their worldview, resulting in fruitless church because they don't change, they don't see the world differently and their role in it. What is their part in it? In changing it. So that results in a fruitless church or Christians which believe in Christ and seek a Christian life, but their light does not light and their salt does not salt. So we need to preach the gospel, the true gospel, the whole gospel, and we need to live it out. If we don't, we risk become nominalistic, fundamentalistic, or fruitless churches. And I believe that's not what this church wants to become. Amen? Amen. Preaching the gospel is not easy. It was never easy, and it will never be easy. You say, you know, in my family, I cannot even bring up my faith. I can't even open my mouth. My neighbors don't want me to talk about or approach them about religions. I have lost almost all my friends since I came to the Lord. At school, at a university, people make fun of me. My work, I can't talk about my faith. I can't say that I am a Christian. I can't preach Jesus. I can't. I can't preach what he did and what he's done for us. Preaching the word is never easy. It will never be. We don't do it because it's easy. We do it because man needs it, and we do it out of obedience. 
And the fourth thing we learned from Paul in this letter is preach the word by guarding your hearts. But you, underlie that, but you, keep your head in all circumstances. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. All the duties of your ministry. While you're preaching, guard your hearts. We must follow God by guarding our hearts. But you, this word but you means be different. You see, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, people want to hear the word of God, but they don't want to practice. But you, be different. Timothy, people do want to go to church, but they don't want to be church. But you, be different. So he's exhorting him. People want to serve, come to church, but they don't want to have commitment to, to Jesus and his mission, but you be different. People want to be consumers, Timothy, but you be a producer, you be different. People will look for places and churches that will preach stuff that will make them feel good, but you preach the gospel. Don't worry about losing people, preach the gospel. Preach the uniqueness of Jesus. Preach for God's sake and preach for man's sake. You be different. How to be different? Well, Paul tells us, tell us four things here too. This seems like it's the letter of the four. Keep focus. Keep your heads up. Have common sense. Poise. Don't be a rebel. Don't be a troublemaker. Don't waste your time talking about politics and controversies and ideologies. Don't fight every fight. Pray, serve, think, reflect, be different. Don't get involved with all that's going on out there. Second, endure afflictions. Those who choose to serve the Lord will suffer. Jesus suffered. Why are we not willing to suffer? He's not even asking us to really literally give our, his life, our lives like he did. Christian suffering is real, but it, that's what makes it real, people. That's what makes it real. It's painful, but it's glorious and joyful. You're never going to experience anything in your life unless you follow the Great Commission and you're committed to it. Because the Lord promised to be with us, we may endure, we may persevere. The third thing he says is do the work of an evangelist. Timothy, live out your callings, live out your gifts. God created you for this, live it, do it. And the fourth thing he says is fulfill your mission. Go all the way to the end. It's very easy to start thinking. In my experience, it's easy to start than to finish. It's easy to get married than be married for your whole life. It's easy to start school than finishing school. It's easy to start a project, project than finishing a project. In the beginning, we're super motivated, we're enthusiastic, but then soon we're gonna start facing difficulties, trials and tribulations, and that's usually when people give up. We need to persevere. We need to go until the end. Sometimes the fruits won't come quickly. Sometimes you're not going to see it very fast. And sometimes you're not going to see it. Other people who come after you will. But you be faithful. You go until the end. Preach the word. 
We're in the business of transforming people to become more like Jesus. Preach the word all the time, whatever you are, with whomever you are, preach the gospel. Brian McLaren says to that we don't recruit people to be customers of, or of our products or consumers of our religious programs. We recruit them to be colleagues in our mission. The church does not exist in order to satisfy the consumer demands of a believer. The church exists to equip and mobilize men and women for God's mission in the world. Can I hear an amen? amen. The church is not a store that you just come and consume and pick here and there. We are the church. We are producers. Jesus said, go and make disciples. That's what we are about. That's what we need to do. And that's what we've been doing in, in Altamira and in Pará. Recently, after 25, 29 years, actually, in Altamira, 18, 19 at the Mirante Church, we planted this church called the Mirante. I think I have a picture there for you. We planted this church from scratch, from ground zeter. We, the church planting team, were the only believers. By the grace of God, we... Um, Created, built this amazing church, a great team, uh, an amazing structure. We planted about, we sent out five couples to plant other churches. We grew the church to about 400 people. We did hundreds of baptisms and hundreds of weddings because people just live together. But once they know the word of God, they decide to do the right thing. And we've built a great community center called CDR that serves the community. I think I have a picture for you there too. That serves hundreds of people. Right now, one of our medical team, dentist team is out on the river for 10 days, uh, just taking care of people. I don't have pictures they're sending me, but it's amazing what they're doing there. This church was in a great place, and I have a picture there for you. Very comfortable, after all the hard work, the church is expanding, is doing really well. But the Lord called us to go to Belém and start all over again. And uh, Belém is a, the state, uh, the, the capital city of our state. We left from a, hundred, a town of 100,000 people to 1.3 million people. The great Belém is about 3 million people. And right now, we have four people in our team, myself, Steve, Camille, and Elisa, our two daughters. During the week, Steve goes out. He's a novelty there because he speaks English. He can't open his mouth, and they go, oh, you're gringo. <laughs> and he'll come home, and he says, you know, I met so-and-so. Can you bake a banana cake? We're going to go have coffee with them. And that's how we're planting a church with banana cake chocolate chip cookies, Mexican food, 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 food. Amen. Not good? It's not that hard, people. Just make some food. Invite someone over. So, and that's what we do. We go out, we connect with people, we invite them to a small group on Saturday nights, and we cook big meals. The girls take care of the kids. Camille is part of the worship. Steve is the, the chef. He makes all the meals. And I make the spiritual meal. And people come at 6. 
They don't leave until 10, 10.30 p.m. They don't want to leave. So we started this in February. We moved in in January. We started the group in February. Right now we have about 25, 30 people coming to the group. And let me tell you something. It's the most life-giving ever. Do you want to have joy? Do you want to have life? Go connect someone with Jesus. There's no greater joy and life-giving experience to see someone coming to Christ and like we saw today, getting baptized. If your life is boring, let me tell you, don't watch more Netflix. For sure don't go watch the Barbie movie. Go out there, connect someone with Jesus. And you're going to have so much joy. And it's very addicting. Once you start, you're not going to want to stop. So I would like to challenge you and encourage you to do that. You see, the vision the Lord put in our hearts for Belen is even bigger than what we had before. It's bigger. It's, it's beyond us, ourselves, our ability, our capacities, our gifts, our finances. It's way bigger than everything we ha have ever done. And when I start sharing that with people, that we were moving, that we're going to Belen, and everybody just immediately response would be, are you guys crazy? And I'm like, yeah, according to the world definition of crazy, yeah. But what keeps us? What made us do it? Well, it would be much easy, much comfortable to have never sent anyone to plant a church because you know that. Every time you send someone, you got to help them live there financially. you got to do their work here. It's double work for everybody. We work much more. It would be much easier to stay with our family, our friends, never left at comfort, but we were not called to comfort. We were called to preach the gospel. We were not called to preach some, make this huge, beautiful structure and sit in it. We were called to preach the gospel. What moves us and keeps us moving is the conviction that we were called to preach the gospel and making disciples has been, and it is, our life's mission. That's what we are about. And let me tell you something to finish this morning. The church, this place, this beautiful place, is not an end. You do not come here to stay. You come here to go. You are the missionaries who will leave this building in a, in a couple of minutes, everywhere you go. You don't come here to stay. You come here to go. The church is not the end. The church is the means of our mission. We come here to keep our faith, to guard our faith, to grow in our faith. But then we go out to proclaim our faith. That's the movement we need to do all the time. We come and we go. We come and we go. We go out there to proclaim our faith. I would like to ask you to stand with me if you can, please.